Good morning. My name's Scott. I am one of the pastors here. And if you're a guest with us today, we're really honored that you decided to be with us. We're in the last week of a series on this whole uh, Me Too phenomena. And we're going to close that out today and by taking communion together. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, let me tell you what's going to happen just in the next few weeks. So you can um, share that, know that for yourself. Share that with people who you think might be helped by it. Uh, we're going to start a series next week called Overwhelmed, and it's going to be about what to do when you don't know what to do. How many of you have ever been in your life overwhelmed? Okay, few liars. Okay, welcome. We're glad, we're glad liars are here too. We're going to talk about the things that overwhelm us. We're going to talk next week about anxiety. There is, uh, I, I don't have a word for it other than an epidemic uh, of anxiety, uh, the number of people who are on anxiety medication. We're going to talk about medication and the role that all plays. How do you get a handle on that? We're going to talk about dealing with your past. For many of us, our past defines us, and we don't know how to move past it. Uh, we're going to talk about when you've been hurt by somebody, and you don't know how to repair the relationship, and you don't know how to trust again. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about fear. Uh, how many of you have ever been overwhelmed by fear and stopped you in your tracks? We're going to talk about all that. Now, uh, in 2018, if you've been here, we've talked about um, we're setting a seat at the table and we're inviting people to be a part of us. So this series is for you, but it's also for someone that you know. And so I would encourage you to invite somebody. Maybe you know somebody, they struggle with anxiety. And hey, come with me. Uh, we'll go out to lunch afterwards, and it can be a way that you can make a connection with them. And what we're going to do while we're in that series is we're going to say that the answer to all of those issues, all of those problems, is learning to apply the love, the grace, and the mercy, and the wisdom of Jesus to those circumstances. And here's how Jesus said it. He said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. So we're going to lift up Jesus as, as the way to have a satisfying life, to knowing what to do when you don't know what to do with all of the issues that all of us face. And um, we're going to lift up Jesus as the source of healing. So I hope you'll be a part of that, invite someone to be a part of that. Uh, but we always look at a passage of Scripture together. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. And if you have a Bible, you can open it to 1 John. It's one of the letters in the latter part of the, the New Testament, kind of towards the back of, of the Bible. If you've got our app, you can open that. If the, uh, or if you have one of these old-fashioned book things, these are great too. And you can leave it open here. We'll be looking at this together. I'll read it aloud. You can follow along. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. Will you read those next three words? God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out of the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then read this whole last line with me, would you? Not only for ours, but also for the sins of of the whole world. As you sit down, tap your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. 
Well, uh, here's kind of where we've been. If you haven't been here, you can always catch up uh, on our, our website, reallifecc.org, or you can, we have a podcast, and you can catch up with any messages, iTunes and Android and all of that. And uh, the first week, we talked about how Jesus treated women, and we said that how you treat the vulnerable is how you treat Jesus. And it's been a part of the Bible since the beginning that God always hears the cry of the oppressed, whoever that might be. It's one of the main themes of the Bible. And so uh, this is a, a whole bunch of women in our culture who are saying, do you notice? Do you see? Uh, I, if you didn't yet, you, you still can for just another few days. Took a survey and uh, 202 women, mostly women, there are a few men that took it as well, uh, but mostly women took the survey and you, it's anonymous and many of them chose to write their story. I will never be the same after reading those stories heartbreak. And one of my goals has been for you, if you just say, well, I, I don't, you know, this is not really going on. I'm a man. or I'm a, Some women let it go on. Maybe we could make a difference. Maybe we could make a change in that. So we talked about Jesus and women. The second week we talked about uh, what Jesus would say to powerful men. And Jesus is the example of a powerful man and what he does with his power. And a powerful man stands up for someone who's oppressed, doesn't use them. And then we talked about Jesus and the wounded. Jesus is, Jesus is welcoming of anybody uh, where they are with their, with their hurt and with their pain and with their wound. And Jesus includes a seat at the table for anybody and everybody. And then last week we said, listen, if we're going to solve the Me Too problem, the Me Too is really a symptom, not the cause. So we've got to get under the root. And we talked about how the Bible views sexuality in the first place and what it's for. And we talked about what's right and what's wrong. And, and you, can, you can check that out on the, on the podcast as well. Um, but today what we're going to talk about is the church that Jesus is building, and the church that Jesus is building is a Me Too church. Now, I don't mean just about this movement, Me Too, a bigger, broader understanding of that, that any hurt, any pain, anyone that anyone brings, is you want to belong to a place, you want to belong to a people who say, Me Too. I had a kind of an epiphany as a pastor uh, a number of months ago, and I realized, you know what, there are a lot of churches, and the way they operate is not... A, a Me Too church, this was kind of before all the Me Too stuff happened, not a Me Too church, they're, they're like a you ought to church. Have you ever been around, some people leave uh, religion and leave churches because they're a you ought to and you should church, like you should do that and you ought to do that and you're not doing that good enough. And what we want, what we hunger for as human beings is we hunger for a place where people will go, Me Too, Me Too. So we're going to talk about that kind of church and how we could be that kind of church today. Well, John uh, was one of the disciples of Jesus. He's one of the original 12 disciples. The way he referred to himself was uh, the disciple that Jesus loved, the one that Jesus loved. I don't know how you think about yourself, your self-identity, how you uh, talk to yourself about who you are, the kind of person that you are. But John said that he was the one that Jesus loved. Listen, if you could figure out how to become the one that Jesus loved, everything gets better for you. And John wrote one of these letters, uh, actually three of the letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is 1st John. And this is where he starts off. And he says in, in, verse, uh, in verse 5 there, he says, This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. Now, i got to stop for a second right there. Who's him? Okay, this is not a trick question. It's church. The answer probably is Jesus. In case you're wondering, the answer is Jesus. Uh, but if you were to summarize the message of Jesus... What would you say that it is? If you could write it in a sentence, if you could tweet the message of Jesus, what would you say that it is? Would it be, uh, don't screw up, God's watching? 
Uh, would it be God is good and you're not quite good enough? If you don't know what the basic message of Jesus is and you, you follow Jesus, then I want you to stop everything and figure it out. Because what John's answer to that question is, is to tell us what God is like. He doesn't start with you and me and our problems and how awful it is. He starts with what God's like. And, and, the, reason, and he start, the reason he starts with what God's like is because if you get what God is like wrong, your life goes wrong. Because how you think about God is maybe one of the most important things about you. And if you think that God is mildly disappointed or God is angry or God is someone that you have to appease or God is someone that you have to perform for, excuse me as I step all over that, if you think that, that's worlds apart from understanding that God is full of grace and mercy, created you in his image, that you got it wrong, but the, he himself came and made up the gap between you and him, died for your sins on the cross, rose again to give you new, the, the, with the power to give you new life. That's worlds apart from thinking that God's just a little bit displeased with you or maybe really angry with you. How you understand and how you think about God is incredibly important. And so this is John's answer. He says, if you want to know what God is like, God is light. He says, in him there is no darkness at all. The original language reads, uh, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all, not even a bit, not a single ounce. It reads like that. There's none. And so uh, he uses this metaphor, light. Now, that's kind of a big idea to get our heads around. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Timothy, he says that God lives in unapproachable light. The image that you're meant to get there is uh, of what you hear when people talk about near-death experiences. You know, I was going down a tunnel, and then there was a light, and it was so warm, and I'd never seen or felt anything like that. My, my wife's father, um, Hank, is his name. I never met him. He died when she was, Andrea was 15, of a brain tumor. Uh, for 30 years, Hank worked for John Deere making tractors, and before that, he was a farmer, in uh, Wisconsin, grew up on a farm and worked really hard. Uh, he played ball. He was a great ball player. He was asked to try out for a couple pro teams. We decided he didn't want to do that, wanted to get married and um, raise a family instead. And he played softball and uh, everybody loved Hank. Uh, one time when Hank was on the operating table, he had a, a vision of God's presence, a near death, we would call it a near death experience. I've heard the tape of him telling that. Do you remember tapes? Some of you are like, what's a tape? Um, the tape of him telling that story. And he describes what the book of Revelation talks about when it describes the, what is known as the New Jerusalem. Now, later in the, toward the summer, we're going to do a, a series on the book of Revelation, what the end times are and all that. But if, you've, if you're familiar with that, he describes it like that. He, my wife sings, and you sometimes will sing, see her sing up here, and her sisters all sing. And there's uh, four sisters and a brother. And he said, you know, I love it when my girls sing. But what I heard there, I've never heard anything like it. And after he had this near-death experience, um, they would find him crying. And he, wouldn't say, he couldn't tell, say why. And finally, after a few months of having these experiences of crying, he said, the pull to go back is just so strong. But while he had this vision, he said, um, he was looking and he saw these things and he saw, he said behind him was this piercing light. And he said, I knew if I turned around, I wouldn't even be able to look into it. And I knew the piercing light was God himself and it lit up the whole city. This is, this is what 
This is what John's writing about when he says God is light. This is what Paul's writing about when he says God lives in approachable light. Now, our experience with light is not quite like that. I mean, we know, we know the sunlight. You know, we, like, we know the daylight. We know a nightlight. <laughs> our perspective is very limited, and, and, and we have to contrast that with our experience of light. And we only understand light in contrast to darkness. That's how our only way of even making sense of light. So John says, so in him, there's no darkness, none at all, not even a hint. Now, now what, what kind of things happen in the darkness for you and I? Just, just yell, yell it out. What, what, what kind of things happen? Bad things? Yeah? You stumble around in the darkness? Yeah? You step on the Legos that your children left on the floor? Uh, you, you, uh, you're confused when you're in the dark. We even have a phrase, we say things happen under the cover of darkness, meaning something bad happens. Someone stole something, someone committed a crime. You get lost in the darkness. You're afraid in the darkness. I remember as a kid laying in my bed and I would call, Mom, Mom, because my closet would be open and I would say, Mom, you gotta, I couldn't get up because I was too terrified of what my shirts had become in the dark. And she would have to come in and close the doors. You know, we hit our toe on the corner of the bed in the dark. I mean, all kinds of things happen in the dark for us. And so what John does is John says that light is what describes God. Darkness is what describes us. We, we kind of understand. Darkness is kind of our reality. Light is all of God's reality. So we're going to turn off the lights just to get a, a sense of this, you know what darkness is like for us. So guys, go ahead and hit the lights. It's in the darkness, though, that we understand our need for light, right? Isn't that right? So here's, here's what John's saying. Listen, in God, there is no stumbling around. There's no confusion. There's no trickery. No bad things happen. There's no fear. There's none at all. There's just... There's just the light. Now, here's why this is important that you know this. If you don't know this, when it gets dark, you're going to wrestle with your doubt. You know that light's going to get dark for you again, right? Maybe you're in the middle of it. I don't know. Maybe this is a very dark time in your life. I don't know. But it's, it's when we're in the dark that we say, is there anything light in my life? And here's, here's what we do. Because darkness is our reality, we project that onto God. You, you know what a projector is. A projector has an image inside of it, and it takes that, that image inside of it, and it puts it some other place. And so because all we know about our reality is darkness, confusion, frustration, fear, we project that onto God and say that God must be those same kinds of things. And so when we stumble, we say, well, why, why would God let that happen in my life? When we're confused, we say, well, where's God? When something bad happens, we go, is God really good? Why would you let me get cancer? When we're afraid, we question, is God enough? I, I think of, I, think of uh, I thought this was an old illustration, but my kids watched this, so I was like, okay, this maybe we'll connect a little bit. But I, I think we think that God has darkness in him like we have darkness in us. And that at the last second, he's going to pull the rug out from underneath us. And so the image that came to my mind when I thought about this was Charlie Brown and Lucy. You know how like, every time 
Charlie Brown goes to kick the football. Lucy talks Charlie Brown into kicking the football. And Charlie Brown says, but you're going to pull the football away. That's what you always do. At the last second, you always pull the football away. And she said, what does she say? Just trust me, Charlie Brown. I'm not going to do that this time. And what does she do every single time when Charlie Brown goes kick the football? That. Right? And we have this in us that we say, I think maybe God is like that. He's not all full of light. I know it sounds good, but he's not all full of light. And honestly, these are all honest questions from our own darkness. But let, let me help you with understanding darkness a little bit. Darkness just means that we have a limited perspective. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, right now, we see through a glass darkly. And then John says, okay, so God... God is light. In him there is no darkness, none at all. And he says, now, and then John says this. He says, listen, so out of our darkness, we make some claims about what we think life is like and what we think God is like. And he makes this first claim. He says, the first claim we make is we say, uh, we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, John says. In other words, we say, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a religious person. I'm a Christian. And we live one way the rest of the week and then we come to a place like this and we say yeah i'm one of those people and what we say doesn't match up with what we do we're two people in my uh, bible reading plan i use the Version bible app and i'm using this plan reading through the bible and i'm in jeremiah and jeremiah was one of the prophets in the old testament and he spends a whole bunch of time telling God's people that they're doing exactly what I just described to you. They're saying one thing and they're doing another. And he paints the case for how bad it is. And he says in Jeremiah chapter 7, he says, you steal and you murder and you commit adultery and you commit perjury and you worship other gods. And then this is what he says. Then you come stand before me in this house which bears my name and you say, we are safe. Safe to do all of these detestable things. In other words, it's all good. God doesn't care. I can live any way that I want. Now, that line of thinking comes from uh, uh, an expectation that you're somehow born into faith. Uh, some people think that just be by virtue of being an American that you're a Christian. We're a Christian nation, so I'm an American. That means I'm a Christian. You're not a Christian just because you're an American. Uh, some people think, well, my parents were Christians, or my grandpa was a Christian, or my grandpa was a preacher, and so therefore, I am a Christian. No, no, you're not. You, you, you aren't born into anything any more than you can go into McDonald's and become a hamburger. It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way, right? You, Jesus says, have to be born again. You have to start over. You have to humbly come to God and confess your wrongs, and it has to start in your own heart and in your own life. So, your own life. So John says that you're to do this instead. Instead of making this claim from the darkness, you know, that I'm one thing in one place and another thing in another place, he says, walk in the light as he is in the light. And then we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. In other words, we leave the dark, our reality, for the light. All of God's reality. And John says, when you do that, then you, you have, you have two things that happen. You have fellowship one with another. In other words, you've got, a, you've got a fellow travelers, and you find, oh, you too? You mean you were, you were in the dark too, and then you realized you need help? Oh, th then we're together. And then John says that the blood of Jesus purifies us from all our sin. It, it really kind of reads in the original, 
keeps on keeping us clean. I don't know about you. I need someone besides myself because I can't keep myself clean. I need someone else to keep on keeping me clean. I don't know if you need that. I do. Then he says this. He says uh, the second claim we make is if we claim to be without sin in, in verse 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. And he says the same thing in verse 10. If we claim we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Let, let, me, let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf here, what he's saying. He's saying that if I claim to be without sin, he's saying, listen, that means I'm not willing. I'm going to kick this down over here because I'm going to crush that in just a second. If we claim to be without sin, that means we're not willing to own our own stuff. Here's what I know about my own heart and what I know about your heart. It's, it's really hard to own my own stuff, but it's super easy for me to own your stuff. <laughs> Anybody married or been with someone for a long time? And you can say, it's really hard for you to go, now here's what I did wrong, but it's really easy for you to say, well, I'll tell you what you did wrong. (laughs) And it doesn't work, because we're always projecting. It's your fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's their fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my teacher's fault. It's my employee's fault. It's always someone else's fault other than my own fault. And this is what John says. If that's you, then you don't yet know the truth. If you can't own your own stuff, then you don't yet know the own truth. You have to, what John says is you have to confess instead your sins. I I use this illustration probably once a year. I'll use it again because I really like it um, because it it illustrates the point. If if I don't own my own stuff, then I don't know the truth yet. A guy named G.K. Chesterton, who was in the late 1800s, lived in England. He was a very well-known man. He was a follower of Jesus. And uh, wrote a lot of things. You can read his books, really, really outstanding insights into life and to God. And uh, there was a, a, an essay contest in the, the major paper in London at the time. And the question was put out to these kind of people who had, were thought leaders in England at the time. Uh, Please submit an essay and tell us what's wrong with the world. It's a perpetual human question. Uh, G.K. Chesterton answered back with a four-word answer, and this is the heart of what John's saying. Dear sirs, I am. It's me. It's my stuff. I'm the problem. I'm my own problem. And John says, until you understand that, you don't understand the truth. Until you can own that, you don't understand the truth. So John says, instead, what we do is we confess our sins, and then he's faithful and just, and he forgives us our sins. Now, let me Help us understand what confession means. Confession means uh, to say this. It's a word that means to say the same thing. It means to agree with. When you're confessing something, when you're confessing your sin to God, you're agreeing that God is right. Yes, I, what, that, what that was was wrong, and you're right about that, not me. Yes, I said that, and that was wrong, and, and you're right, and not me. This is why only humble people can become Christians. See, some people think that you got to be perfect, or you got to be good, or you got to be the right kind of person. No, no, no. Those people, it's irrelevant. Only humble people become Christians because only humble people can admit they were wrong. <laughs> Proud people can never become Christians because they can't admit that they're wrong. They just can't get there. And so what confession does is confession creates this beautiful community of people who are honest. One of the best illustrations I know of people who take seriously the power of confession and the power of humbling yourself and admitting that you're not right is AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. 
And um, I was reading last night the 12 steps, and I, I thought these were, these were so powerful. I thought I'd read um, some of the steps to you so you could get a, a picture of what confession looks like. This is, this is the first step. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol. Now, you could insert anything into that instead of alcohol. We admitted we were powerless over that our lives had become unmanageable. Step number two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step number three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step number four, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step number five, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step number six, we we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step number seven, listen, we humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. See, humble people, humble people go into the light. This is why the the church needs to be a me too place, a me too organization instead of a you ought to organization. Listen, some of you are struggling with relationships and you would love it if people were closer to you. And you had people you could count on. You feel kind of lonely in your life. But often the way we try to make connections with other people is we try to show them how good we are at something. And all that happens when you're good at whatever it might be and someone else is good at whatever they might be, all, the closest you can get is just admiration for each other. Oh, that was really good. Oh, that, oh you're really good. Oh, I'm really good. And you're really good. Oh, we're both good. That's great. The way you make a connection with the other, uh, another human being is so counterintuitive. The way you make a connection is you admit what you're not good at. And you admit where you're weak. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what? You too? So y- you might be overwhelmed, right? And maybe you've been overwhelmed. And you, you, when you're overwhelmed, you go to the grocery store. And you go to the cookie aisle and you get the Pepperidge Farms orange chocolate, chocolate, orange chocolate Milano cookies and you go home and you put them in the freezer and when they're nice and cold, you sit down and you eat the whole bag. <laughs> and what you want to hear is that you're struggling with that and you say that to someone else and they go, you do that? Me too. Or you know you've got a tough decision to make the next day at work or you've got a hard day ahead of you and you're just avoiding that and so instead of going to bed and being well rested, you stay up till 2 in the morning surfing the internet or watching, uh, watching infomercials that have been on 73 different times. And what you want to hear is someone else say when they struggle, you want to hear them say, yeah, me too. And those are kind of superficial things, but what you also want to hear are things like, yeah, I was ready to give up because my life was too hard. You know what? Me too. Or I feel lonely sometimes, like no one cares. You know what? Me too. We have, uh, in our home on Sunday nights, we have a, we call it a missional community, and it's uh, for young families, and um, our goal is this year is to launch five of them at least. We need a whole bunch of them. It'd be a place where you can build relationships and get to know people and uh, find out that people are for loving and being loved and knowing and being known. And so we have this group that meets in our house, and it's uh, for young families. If you have a young family and you want to be a part, let me know. Love to have you join us. Um, but Sunday, this last Sunday night, around our kitchen table, we broke the guys up and the ladies up, and we had these, this set of uh, questions from a guy named John Wesley that he wrote a, a long time ago, and, and we asked a whole bunch of them to each other. And I was the one responsible for asking the questions uh, in our, the guys. And when I read through the questions, I was like, you know what? My answers to some of these are not great. 
And so I just decided I was going to be honest. And I was just going to say, I don't have a good answer to that. And this wonderful, beautiful thing happened around the table because all the guys, in some way, they didn't exactly say it exactly like this, but they all basically kind of said, yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, I struggle with that too. And so the beautiful thing that confession creates is you come in expecting condemnation and you find friendship instead. And it's a beautiful thing that confession does. And so what John says is that when you confess to God, you come expecting condemnation. And because God is light and in him there is no darkness, none at all, you come in expecting condemnation. And what you find is you find forgiveness and you find mercy because he's light, because that's what he's like. There's no darkness in him, none at all. And so I would love it today if some of you, maybe for the first time, would humble yourself and you would confess your sins to God. Maybe for the 700th time. I, I don't know. But I, I, I want to be a part of helping to build a Me Too church. Will you, will you help me do that? You want to be a part of a Me Too church? I want to be part of a Me Too church. Let's build that together. And so, so John goes on and he says, I'm writing this so that you won't sin. In other words, it's best if you don't. And it's possible that you don't that you wouldn't have to sin all the time. He said, but then the best, maybe the best four words in the Bible, or best five words in the Bible, but if anybody does sin, ever found yourself there? Like, I didn't want to do that. I wish I hadn't said it that way. I wish I hadn't thought that. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus has got your back. And he says that he's the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. This is what John's saying. Listen, if you claim to be one thing and you're really another thing, what you're doing is you're going deeper into the darkness and into the confusion. And you're tearing your world apart a little bit. And if you claim to be without sin and you, you don't have the ability yet to own your own stuff, what you're doing is you're going deeper into the darkness, into the confusion, and, and you're tearing your world apart a little bit. And, and you become trapped inside of the lies, and you, you're, you're growing apart from other people, and you're drifting away from God, and you're saying, I thought I was close to God. I thought God was close to me. And you even at points become a stranger to yourself, and you, you wake up one day and you go, how in the world did I get to this point in my life? And what John is saying is, listen, it doesn't have to be that way, guys. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. That's, a, that's an English uh, word that we, we made to describe what Jesus did for us on the cross when he laid his body on the cross for our sins. And it's, it's two words that are put together, at one meant. Where you and I are torn apart because darkness is our reality. Light is all of God's reality. And so he's able to put at one what we have torn apart. And it starts, John says, with confession. So when you came in on your seat, or there's a little slip of paper that says Me Too on it, and I would invite you, Tim's going to come and sing a song for just a, a minute or so before we take the elements of communion together. And I would invite you to take a searching and fearless moral inventory of your life in the words of AA and see what it is that you need to confess. And when we're done here, um, you're in the first service, you can see some of the things people left here. It's, don't, don't write your name on this. This is between you and God. You can leave this here with the understanding that you may have thought that you were going to receive condemnation, and what you got instead was the forgiveness and the mercy and the putting back together again that happens through the cross of Jesus on your behalf. 
So I want to invite you to take that inventory right now, and then in just a moment, we're going to take the elements of communion together. treasure at the end of this narrow road I'm traveling that gives me a purpose for life. Jesus is my treasure, the reason walking with showing just can't miss it think before you choose there's a treasure at the end of this narrow road I'm traveling gives me
the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sharing a meal with his disciples, the Passover meal. And so I'd invite you to take these elements out of this bread that represents the bread that Jesus shared with his disciples, and you peel that back um, for the cup. And while they were there, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is now, when you remember this, my body that's broken for you. Take and eat this and remember that Christ died for you. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and he lifted it up and he said, this represents now the blood uh, of my covenant that I'm making with you, a new covenant. It'll be that for the forgiveness of your sins, that you can be made right, you can be at one with God. So take and drink this and remember that Christ shed his blood for you. I invite you to stand with me, if you would, and we'll pray together. So, God, uh, we come to you as people who have as uh, a big part of our reality the darkness, the confusion, the stumbling around, the messed up decisions. And we come to you, who is light. In you, there is no darkness, none at all, not even an ounce. So thank you that every time darkness comes up against light, darkness loses. Thank you. So when we come to you, the darkness is dispelled and we find a new way to walk. So God, I pray this morning for the marriages that are in darkness. I pray for the lives that are in the darkness of addiction. I pray for the person who is in the darkness of depression that you would bring your light and you'd show us the beauty of confession, the beauty that we can be a me too church, me too. Oh yeah, you, you have that? Me too. Oh God, we want that. So we ask for that. We ask for your help this week to walk in the light as you are in the light. And we thank you for the fact that we can do that of your love and your grace. And everybody that wanted all of that said, amen. We send you out with a blessing. People hold out their hands as a way of receiving that. If you'd like to do that, please do that. If you're not comfortable, it's okay too. Just receive this blessing. May you know the love of God for you, <laughs> just like you are, darkness and everything. And may you know that you are now sent to love God to love people and to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. Our prayer team's down front if you need prayer.